for Christmas, my cousin bought me a, a mechanical clock. It goes on the wall, and it's one of those skeleton clocks, so you can see all the gears moving as it goes. I am absolutely intrigued by mechanical clocks. If one is being abandoned by somebody, I adopt it. If there's one in a junk store wasting away on a shelf for 10 bucks, I buy it. I feel the same way about mechanical clocks that many people feel about puppies. There are now 14 mechanical clocks in the rectory, each in its own room. And at noon, it sounds like you're in the center of an old European city listening to all the church bells go off. One of my self-appointed Sunday morning jobs is to go around and wind all the clocks. But the thing is, what human being needs 14 mechanical clocks? As much as I enjoy them, I think, what's the point? Is it going to win favor with God that I adopted a homeless clock? At the gates of heaven, is he going to say, oh, you're the one with all the clocks. Come on in. You know, I don't think so. I only have two nephews. When I go to the great rectory in the sky, do each of them really want seven clocks? What's going to happen to them? Now, if you understand these ponderings, then you understand what's going on in the first reading today. Abraham is old by any standard. His wife is old. They're near the end of their life. They have no kids, and it's way past the time for them to have any. And many years ago, God promised Abraham great rewards. And today God says to Abraham, remember that promise I made to you so long ago? It's still coming. And Abraham replies, thanks, God. It's not really necessary we're very old. I have no family. It's not like you could give it to me and I could hand it down to my kids. Anything you give me is just going to go to my servant. Under the circumstances, we're happy with what we got. Thank you. But God leads him outside and says, no, you will have an heir, a son, and your treasures will go to him. In fact, Look up at the stars of the sky. And these first three windows here, that's the story of Abraham and Isaac, his son. And that blue swath coming down with all the stars in it, that's this part of the first reading. If Count those stars in the sky if you can. Just so your descendants will be. Abraham goes, okay. Certainly, this is not the most favorable condition for a family, childless, childless, elderly, and poor. I doubt this is what they dreamed about when they were young and first thinking about getting married. You know, you have that ideal in your head of what's going to happen, and then you walk down the actual path of life like this one. It may at first seem like an odd choice for a reading on this feast of the Holy Family, but it isn't really. I think it's perfect, simply because we're not perfect. St. Paul, I think, thinks the same thing. In the second reading, he's talking about that first reading. 
And he comments about the Abraham and faith to the people of his day, the same way that I'm relating to you about what St. Paul said to the people of his day. And he comments about how Abraham had faith, and it led him to receive that very promise that God had given to him, the son and the inheritance. But that was not the end of the drama. He was granted the son, but then he was called to give him up, to sacrifice him. This is the rest of the window that you can see there. You know, he's got his hand on his son's neck and the dagger and the angel who will eventually stop him. But how tragic is that? Even to think that you would have to give it up. To wait, to have faith, and then miraculously receive what you always dreamed about at the point when you thought it was way too late. And then almost it was all to no avail. It's all going to be taken away again. You had it for a brief shining moment, a tease, and now it's going to be only a memory. But Abraham reasoned, as St. Paul told us, if God could give me all this when it seemed too late, then somehow he's going to continue his blessings through this son in this seemingly hopeless situation, which he did. And he had that son continue on, through whom we are part of a family. And today, in the Eucharistic prayer, we are going to mention, and Abraham, our father in faith. 1.3 billion Catholics today alone are going to make that declaration. Count the stars if you can. That's not even to mention all the Jewish people and all the people who've lived before us. Does that not sound like all the stars in the sky? In much the same way, the Holy Family situation on this feast day of the Holy Family was not all that ideal. We idealize it in songs like Silent Night and in pleasant manger scenes, but amidst the love and faith, it was chock full of uncertainty, homelessness, confusion, danger and fleeing, stress, and humongous and crushing responsibilities. In fact, in the gospel today, Mary is told through the prophecy of Simeon, and you yourself, a sword will pierce. These stories have so much to teach us. I think if I were to have the ushers pass out papers and pen, and we were all to write down what we think the ideal family looks like, in essence, I believe, we would all come up with fairly close answers. And that is a good ideal, a good model toward which to strive. But in reality, how many of us can hit that? There are all kinds of realities in a fallen world that messes all that up. Many of us are dealing with divorce, with death, with physical and mental illnesses, divided households, addictions, and any number of things, including just not being called to married and family life. Some people seem to have it all, and others, you know, just want something better. Of course you do. You imagined it working out so much better than it did. And like Abraham, what you are in the middle of now is not the promising future you once envisioned. So what are we supposed to do? The answer is figure out who you are 
and live it as best you can with what you've got. And I'm not talking about dropping everything and going somewhere and finding yourself. Like, maybe I think I have this inner actor in me, so I'm sorry, i got to leave you all and go to New York and try the floor of the stage boards up in New York. That is not who I am called to be. Discovering who you are means discerning to what you have been called and what you have promised, what you have vowed, and to whom you have responsibilities, starting with your baptism and confirmation, your commitments, your legitimate responsibilities. Remember these and then live them out like the Holy Family, like Abraham and Sarah did to the best of their ability, trusting God who promises the faithful great rewards either in this life and most likely in the next. I think of my mom. I had a great upbringing. I, didn't, uh, I, I thought we lived in an idealized world. And it wasn't until my mother uh, was toward the end of her life when she confided in me and she said, you know, when I married your father, she married him at the age of 19 in the late 1940s. She says, when I married him, I knew there was something missing in him. There was a hole in there. And I thought if I married him and I loved him enough, that would take care of that hole and everything would be fine. She says, it wasn't until we had kids and a house and a life that I realized that was just not going to be the case. So she weighed her position, her situation, her responsibilities, and to whom she had responsibilities, determined who she was and lived it. And though it was more difficult at times than I ever realized, she ended her days in joy, and I believe in the embrace of heaven. Very heroic thing to do. On a much lighter side, something similar to that happened to me once, and I got through it with a, with a, a helpful tip that I pass on to you. I was, one time I went to Cancun, and I hated it so much I had to go to a second time to see, to make sure that I really hated it. The first time we went, a bunch of us priests, we didn't realize, but we went down there just as it was spring break in the United States. So it was just wild pandemonium down there, drinking and all partying and all, anything you can imagine was going on. So he said, they talked me into going one more time. And they said, and this time we're going to go not during spring break. So, okay. And we went down. And we went during Canadian reading week, which is worse <laughs> than spring break. All kinds of stuff's going on. And you, know, you kind of get caught up in it because it's, it's just all around you. It's the culture right there at that time. And I went to bed and I would just be roiling and tossing and turning and not being able to sleep. Just thinking about all the things that were going on in all the rooms around me. And, you know, quite honestly going, wow, I'm going to be a part of that. And this is the, the trick that someone taught me once that I find very helpful. You know, step out of yourself and imagine who you hope that you're going to be. So I pretend like I'm standing outside the hotel and looking up at the window where this priest is staying. I go, what, what would I hope this priest would be like? Who do I hope that priest is staying in that hotel? And I thought, I want him to be strong and chaste and content and true to his vows and I thought about that one. Yeah, that, that's who I want to be. I don't want to live the life of all these 
drunken, hedonistic people around me. I want to be that, that good and holy spot in this hotel. And boy, that came into me. I relaxed and fell asleep like that. I think that is what this Feast of the Holy Family is about, at least in part. Figuring out who you are in God, what your situation is, and following the example of all the people in today's readings to trust God, to be who you are called to be, and to do what you are supposed to do to the best of your ability.